Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Thanks for worshiping with us. I know some of you guys are, are from here and you uh, this is your church home. For others, you are guests and... I am thankful that you guys are here visiting, and uh, and on behalf of us, thanks for, for joining us this morning. Uh, this morning, we we worship that. How many kings? Uh, how many kings would do something like that for us? There is only one. There's only one that has done something like that. And that's the idea that I want us to think about this morning, is what do we do with this king? Uh, you'll see up on the screen that the sermon message this morning, there aren't too many slides, but the one that I want us to think about is just... This is the king from Bethlehem. What, what is it about this king? What do we need to know about this king? How do we react to this king today, born in Bethlehem, who will celebrate tomorrow? Uh, this morning, I hope that you can gather and, and take something from this, just to be pondering a little bit. What, what am I doing? How am I dealing with this Christ? This, for some of us, this message we've heard for years and years and years, and Obviously, as a pastor, it's kind of like, what do you tell people that's new? But more importantly, I think that the, the key this Christmas season is that we're reminded and reflecting the correct way about what Jesus did, what he came for. And also that it wasn't just something that happened, but it was something that was predicted from old, from a long time ago. So this morning, we're going to turn in a moment to uh, both Matthew's Gospel and the book of Micah. Uh, we're going to go to those passages in a little bit. Um, but before that, uh, I want to just uh, start off with, uh, well, how do I start off this? Uh, I want us to think for a moment about small towns. We're from one, many of us. Most of us are from here. We're from small towns. But there's something about small towns that they like to do. Um, tonight, in particular, Suzanne and I will, after the Christmas candlelight con- uh, thing tonight, we're going to drive over to South Dakota, and we're going to drive through some small towns, and one of the towns in particular that we will pass through is a town, town called DeSmit. I don't know if any of you have heard of it, um, but some, of, some head nods. Uh, DeSmet will be along our way, and, and there's something about small towns where a famous person comes from. They like to put giant billboards out front and say, so-and-so was born here, or so-and-so is from here. And in DeSmit, that's the home, or, or one of the places that Laura's Ingle Wilder, I never say her name right, uh, where, she, where she's from. That's, she's the little house on the prairie lady, right? And, and so, depending on how much you care about that, when you drive through DeSmit, for some of you, you might see the billboard and say, she's from here, and you might be like, oh, well, that's nice, and just pass on by. Some of you might be, huh, that's kind of interesting. I might swing in and take a glance and take a stop for a little bit. Uh, but, but you're kind of like, well, a detour, but I don't want to spend too much time there. For others of us, uh, that if, if you were a really big fan and she was someone that you've really cared for, you might even make a special journey or a special pilgrimage just to go see some of the things that are in that town. Small towns. They like to advertise those things. They like to celebrate the people that are from there. And this morning, what I want us to do is turn to the town of Bethlehem. We aren't going to talk about the town so much and all the details uh, of what Bethlehem was like. But I want us to think about the one who was born there. 
the significance of Jesus who was born in that, in that town. And then ask, how will we react? How will we uh, act um, in, in our response to all of a sudden seeing a billboard outside of Bethlehem that says, Jesus, the king of the world, the king of the universe, was born here. All right? So with that, let me pray, and then we'll get into our scripture text this morning. So uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning that we can celebrate and worship, that we can hear that song. How many kings would do that? How many kings would surrender so much for me, for each of us? Probably not many earthly kings would give it all up for us. You did. Father, I, I thank you this morning that through Jesus uh, you showed us your great love, and Jesus, that you went and endured all things. And this morning, as we think about you, as we process and we're reminded again, may we worship you truly. Lord, may your word speak to us this morning. And, Spirit, may we be joyful like the angels in rejoicing at Jesus' coming. We thank you for your word preserved. And even as we look back at a prophet, we thank you that you fulfilled your word and all your word is trustworthy and you will bring it to completion. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. This is going to be a familiar Christmas passage. It might already be in your devotions or you might read it today or tomorrow as you prep for Christmas. This is the story of the wise men visiting Jesus. And I just want to read the first six verses of chapter 2. You'll see it there in your pew Bibles on page 687 if you're turning there. Matthew 2, starting at verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, it was in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have, to com- and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chiefs, chief priests, and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. This is the quote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew writes of the king's coming. They go and make a beeline to Jerusalem. They they follow uh, from from their homelands and they go to Jerusalem and they ask and say, where is this king to be born? And they're told, Bethlehem. And the guys, the leaders, the religious leaders of that day, they refer to the book of Micah. They, they pull up this quote from the book of Micah, and it's important for us to just not say that, well, they quoted it, and they're just kind of taking a verse and saying, oh, well, it said Bethlehem, therefore we should just assume it's Bethlehem. But what is probably more important, and if we're good Bible readers, what we want to do when we see a quote in something like the Gospel of Matthew is go back and examine the context. What was going on in Micah? What significance does it have? What is the fuller picture of what's being said there? And so this morning we want to do just that. We want to go back to Micah. Turn with me to Micah 5. Pew Bible, that one might be a little bit harder to find. It's probably a handful of pages back here in the Pew Bibles, page 662. 
And I want to read Micah 5, verses 1 through 5a is actually what we're going to read. It says B up there, but it should be A. My bad. Um, So let's look. If you turn there, follow with me. Micah, the prophet, says this. Now muster your troops, O daughter of... O muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike and judge of Israel, the judge of Israel, on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. We'll stop there. Micah is this prophet. For those of you that are unfamiliar, he speaks to the the people. He's the mouthpiece of God in a time uh, before Israel is kicked out of their land, before the exile. He's speaking to them some several hundred years before Jesus is around. And he speaks these words uh, to the people, to the leadership, to all those who are there. And it doesn't sound like a real happy, feely Christmas verse, at least from the beginning, and it probably shouldn't. It's important to see the context of what's going on in this passage is actually uh, kind of a rebuke of the people of Israel. It's challenging them. At this time, for Micah, and what we get from the the passages, the chapters that are before it, and and some of what happens after, uh, for Micah, he's giving them a challenge in the midst of a really comfortable, a really just life-is-good kind of people in Israel. They're comfortable in their place. They've established their kings or their kingdom. They have a king on the throne, though he's a bad king. And, and, and at this time, it's so much that they've, they're, they're just okay, and they don't really need God. So much so that they've turned from their God, and they're worshiping other gods. They're, they're going after other gods, other, other, other idols. They're in rebellion against what God has asked them and how He's asked them to be set apart and worship only Him. We see that in chapters 1 and 2. They've fallen into idolatry. And even from the leadership on down, the people just are not worshiping the proper way. And as a result, what is talked about in chapters 4 and then early in 5 is that there's going to be humiliation for these people. There's going to be uh, a a challenge from opposing nations coming into their land and and, and kicking them out of the land. And we know that it becomes the exile where the people are removed from their place on high. The temple will be destroyed and, and, and all of Jerusalem will be in ruins. That is the result of their rebellion against their idolatry, against their chasing after other gods. 
And, and that's really what happens in, in the moment when verse five, chapter 5, verse 1 happens. It's talking about the troops coming, that siege is going to be laid on the land, that, that the problem is, is that we are about to be humiliated by the onlooking world, by other people coming in challenging. The armies are going to come in and destroy because we've missed it. We haven't worshipped God correctly. For us, I think that it's much the same. That for us, we can get in this place so often comfortable, content, even falling in away from God and saying, I really don't need God in my life right now. I'm okay with where I'm at. I may even stumble towards idolatry looking towards things and making them more important than the gospel it is itself, the gospel of Jesus and what He came to do. We don't worship God as we should, and and in it, we find ourselves embarrassed because we aren't worshiping our God, and, and we don't sense our God, and He's not with us, it feels like. On a day-to-day, that might be the case, but more so before we even understood and knew and trusted the gospel. For those of us that have said yes to Jesus, this was our state. We were in humility. We were in our oppression to sin, to death, to the evil one. It's an embarrassing thing. But chapter 2, or verse 2, it turns. Verse 2, it uses that first word that we see there, but. That transition word, what we, what we know is that at the time when, when they were in their, their, their comfort and their status, what was going on was that Jerusalem was the epicenter. That was the, the place of might and power. That's where the kings were. That's where all this, this corruption was coming from and all this misguided leadership It was coming out of Jerusalem, out of the city you would expect to be leading God's people. Where people probably put their hope and their attention. And then it says, but you, O Bethlehem. You, O Bethlehem. This tiny town, six miles away from Jerusalem, lived definitely in the shadow of the big city. But yet... It was there. It was small. It wouldn't be the one that we would expect a king to come out of. But yet it turns here and says, But you, Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from, the old, from old, of old, from ancient days. The idea here is that the small town gets this promise that there's going to be someone that's going to come out of you that is worth putting up a billboard about. Someone that is worth putting up a sign that says, this place where we would least expect him is where the God of the universe is coming from. He's going to come out of here. And we can start to see in this verse, not so much stuff about Bethlehem, but what we can see is stuff about the king that will come from there. It makes truth claims about this king, this one who will come. It doesn't talk about this baby, this, this, this lowly Jesus, but it talks about a great king that's going to come from Bethlehem. 
some truth claims that we can pull out of here that it speaks about Jesus. It says that he's going to come out of the midst of this broken humiliation. It, it falls right in line after their humiliation, after their brokenness, after their, their, their kind of being embarrassed by where they are and, and who they are and what they've done. It's going to say, no, in your humiliation, in your need for king, there is going to be one who's going to come. It shows God's grace. God's goodness, that in the time when the people would need a king the most, this king is going to come. It moves from the hope in the big city, in the place where we'd expect, to a tiny town that we would least expect it, a place where no one would expect. But that takes a transition to acknowledge the humility that takes acknowledgement of our brokenness. That takes acknowledgement that the way of, uh, that the world would see in the city with Jerusalem isn't working. I need to turn to something that I would least expect: Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a peculiar place. In one way, we wouldn't expect Bethlehem. Again, we would expect the city. We would expect the place where where David throne is, we would expect a king to come from there. We'd expect Judea uh, to bring a king out, but, but from Jerusalem, not from Bethlehem. Bethlehem wasn't even counted as, as among the great cities when the people were given out the promised land. It was, it was left off the list of good cities. We wouldn't expect it. There's nothing glamorous. There's nothing memorable. But we should also know for good Bible readers that this actually makes a lot of sense that he would come out of Bethlehem. Because you see, Bethlehem isn't a town where Jesus just suddenly happened to show up. It wasn't so much that, that it was at random chance, but actually Bethlehem plays this giant role throughout the Old Testament. And actually outside of Bethlehem, we could imagine that there was already a sign that this is the place of so-and-so and so-and-so, and and this person is buried here. Because going all the way back to the early part of the Old Testament, it becomes this place where God uses for his people. Jacob's wife Rachel was buried there, and Jacob set a memorial for her very early on. So this was a key place for the founding fathers of Israel where where they would remember and think back to the importance of this place. And, And then track through your Old Testament a little bit more, you get to the book of Ruth. And in Ruth, who's from Bethlehem? It's Ruth's, uh, the, the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who's from there as well. And, and then you keep on going on, and, and Boaz is, is one of the grandfathers of King David himself, who came from Bethlehem. That shepherd boy who became king, who made Jerusalem great, who made the place of God, uh, the, the, the throne of God great, and the, he made the plans for the temple and everything that was over there. He came from this lowly place, Bethlehem. He was the last one you would expect. He was the youngest. He was the one that was just out in his field tending sheep. And and he goes, and yet he's the one that Samuel ends up anointing. He's the chosen one that will grow from humble ranks, trusting in God, having his heart set on God. and, And that's the type of king that is going to come out of Bethlehem. And so we should hear that there's, while they are too little, this town is too small amongst Judah, that there is a great king that's going to come, just like David, 
one that's going to come forth and take on that kingship again. What does it say about him? It says he's going to rule. He's going to stand firm. He's going to shepherd. Those three things that are claimed about this king when he comes from Bethlehem, out of Bethlehem, we see those things that he will be a king. In the midst of a world that, and, and God's people there that had corrupt and bad kings, here comes a king who, who is going to be good. He's going to rule. He's going to care for. He's going to shepherd his people. He will sit on the throne and be the leader of God's people, not just throughout Israel, but all throughout all the world. It says he's going to stand firm, that he won't be brought down. He, he will be firm in his leadership, unlike all the other kings, including David and Solomon and so many others. They all fell apart and crumbled in their leadership at some point. But not this king that will come from Bethlehem. He will stand firm. And he will shepherd, he will care for his people. He'll take on the characteristics of David where he will go and care for them and do just what he needs to go after them and love them and raise them up and gather them together. He will protect those who threaten the sheep and he will make sure that these sheep are cared for. Not only that, it makes this claim that he will, that this has been planned from old. Verse 2, it says that this isn't a new decision of God. This is something that comes from old, from ancient days. And there's kind of, again, going back through the Old Testament, it, we could see again that, that this was planned when David showed up, when, when God promised that there would be an everlasting king, a king forever on the throne. We could see that that was predicted way before Micah says these things. Going back even further, we, we can see that, that in, in Gen, Genesis even, there, there's already one who, who in the ancient days, the beginning of creation, one is predicted that will come and, and be the king who will, who will get rid of evil. When Adam and Eve are sinning, there's one who's predicted a king that will come. The seed of Eve and of Adam that will come, that will make things right. And even before that, we can go and we see from the Gospel of John, that obviously that's New Testament, but we see that in John he says that there was one who was in the beginning. He was the Word and he's with God. And, and, and that this God, this man who's coming, this king that's coming from ancient, he was even before, before the creation of the world. Michael, when he's talking about the ancient of days, he, he's speaking for God on this is the plan, this has been the plan, this is the one who's coming, this baby that's coming to be born in Bethlehem. He isn't just, doesn't just show up. He's been predicted, and been around, and now, at the perfect time, he will show up in Bethlehem. It says that he will, God will give their, will let go of the people for a time. Verse 3, that there shall give them over, and eventually, through labor pains, through birth, this child will be birthed and will come and be born there. And then the rest of the brothers, Israel, will come in. And then his kingdom will expand throughout the world. This message is given to Israel, but that word there, when we look in verse 4, 
Look at the end of verse 4 there. It says, They shall dwell secure from now on, and he shall be great to the ends of the earth. It says that this king isn't just a king over a geographic area like Israel. His kingdom will be to the ends of the earth. It will go all the way out, and therefore his expansion will be great. That's a promise that's made. One last affirmation that's made or thing that we can say is a true claim here, verse 5, and this is probably where I really want us to see about this king. It says that he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. What's peculiar about that word and that wording is he doesn't say that that this king that will come will be a symbol of peace, that he's not just something to look at and say, well, just be like him. Or, or, and it doesn't say that he will, he will bring peace in the land as far as he, he will just help stop all the violence. No, it says he will be their peace. He will be the one they look to and say, that's where my peace comes from. I look towards this king. When the angels will show up in Bethlehem later on, in Luke, as we'll read tonight in the candlelight service, they sing, Peace on Earth. And what they're not talking about is, hey, we have this good feeling of peace that's coming, but this king, this one, this baby who's born, is himself peace. Apart from him, apart from what Micah is saying, apart from this king, there is no peace. Our peace in life, only comes through this one. So Micah has this phrase, this saying, this prophecy. He speaks these things. He speaks of a great king to come. He, he, he draws attention not to a cute baby, but ultimately to one who will rule and reign and care for God's people, who will be set apart and, and stand firm. He will care for the flock. All these things that we think of with that we hear in these verses. And this is all said about Bethlehem. That he's going to be born there. Which turns us back to the book of Matthew. Matthew, we go to chapter 2 and we know the story of the wise men. The wise men show up in Jerusalem. Again, we see some similarities. The the religious leaders, they got to go back into their archives to find out and figure out where this Jesus is going to be born. They've already forgotten that, that the king, the one who is to come, is going to be born in this small town that deserves the billboard outside of it. The sign that says, the king of the universe will be born here. The leaders have forgotten that. They have to go back and look through their scrolls and look through their ways to find that he's going to be born there. They, are, they become complacent. They aren't seeking God in the proper ways to know that his king would be born there. On top of it, they also see oppression, just like back in Micah's day where, where an oppressed government, someone else was, was ruling over them. Herod puppet king for the Roman government. He's there. He's guiding. But it's not God's king. The wise men show up in the court 
of Herod, and they say, where shall we be born? We've come from the east. We've brought these gifts. And what, he, what they're going to do, what they're co- as they're coming from the east, they're seeking to worship. The the thing I want us to think about this morning is that for Micah, he prophesied these things, and other guys prophesied that this one, this king, would come. And and sometimes I think this at Christmas time, we just hear the stories that these wise men were following a star. That's true. But sometimes I think what we play this, the, the, how this story plays out is that they were just kind of lounging around one day and all of a sudden they saw a star pop up in the sky and they see this star and they said, hey, maybe we should follow that. And while we're following, why don't we, why don't we grab our, our, our gifts, our frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and carry them with us just in case something good is at the end of the rainbow to go give it to? That's not what was happening. These wise men had heard, probably my guess would be, through the words of Daniel, when, when he was in exile in Babylon, and through others in, in Israel, they, they heard of this king that would come, this king of the Jews that would come, and they knew, and they sat there waiting and watching and hoping, and like we say at Advent, awaiting this king to arrive. And when they see the star in the sky, they say, let's go. Let's go to that place. Let's find that small town. How can we, we need to find this king that was spoken of in Micah, this great king who was born. So they go. And they hear this, this saying again, You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The wise men go and make a, a, a direct line to Jerusalem, and then they're directed to go to Bethlehem. Not that the city itself, not that the town and, and being there and making a pilgrimage to Bethlehem is important, but they go there to see the Savior. And when they get there, what do they do? They bow down and worship Him, this King. A King who's going to shepherd, rule, reign, be peace for the people. He's going to help them in their oppression. He's going to help them in their need, in their humility. And they bow down when they find Him and they worship. And they give Him their gifts. Micah prophesied about it. The wise men follow. They hear this testimony. They go and worship Him. So what does that mean for us this morning? What does it mean for us as we tomorrow celebrate this baby coming? For us, this, this next 24 hours, this 48 hours, and, and even the, the time after it as we move on, it, it's going to be really easy to just give a passing glance to the fact that this is who has come in the manger. 
it's going to be really easy to just kind of give it a little thought, but then quickly move on to the rest of life or, or to move on to, to all the other things we have, prepping for New Year's, prepping for spring, prepping for the rest of the next year even. We could be already in the 2018 and not give a passing glance to this king who's come. I refer back to going through a small town like the Smet, like we'll go through tonight. What I'm trying to do, I guess, or my hope in a way, is to say that for Bethlehem and what happens at Christmas time should be a giant billboard that says, Here is the king of the universe. Here is the king who is the savior. Here's the king who is shepherding us and caring for us and standing firm for us. There is that billboard outside the sign. And and tomorrow and the rest of this next week as we move forward, the question is, if you imagine yourself driving through this holiday, the question is, are you going to give it just kind of a, oh, hey, look, there's a nice sign. Are you going to give it just acknowledge that, yes, this is where that Jesus was born and that that was a good thing? Or will you sit there and maybe turn off for a little bit and give it a worship for the day? Or the question is, will we be like the wise men who sat there and said, the person who is born, the person who is born in this major is really important and I'm going to make a special pilgrimage. I'm going to make, a, make it my all to go and search after him and find him. And when I find him and I get to him, I'm going to bow down and worship and give him my everything. That's what the wise men did as they showed up. They gave him treasures. And for us today, as we, as we move on to sing joy to the world in a moment, as we, as we rejoice with the angels, will we allow our hearts to actually say, Lord, what that means is joy has come, peace has come, and I want to give you my everything, all the areas of my life, all my energy, all my excitement. I want to give it to you in worship, you, this child of Bethlehem. My prayer is that for us, that we can be thinking about this, that every gift that's given in your family, whatever meals you have planned up, whatever travel, whatever things come up within the next uh, hours and days, that they're all reminders of what these things are, that these things that we celebrate become giant signs to say, look at Jesus, look at this King that's come and worship Him. a place that we wouldn't expect, in a way we wouldn't expect, God coming in the form of a man, a child, a baby, for us. I pray that that's for you as it is for me. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we are thankful that you sent your Son In an unexpected fashion, you sent him to Bethlehem at the right time, to the right place. And you even directed his father, Joseph, through a census to that place so that Jesus could be born there. So that these prophecies could be fulfilled and you could be shown to be true, trustworthy. 
worthy of our praise. We put our trust in the message that is that you didn't just come to live, but you came ultimately to serve us through the cross and through death, through rising, through conquering death. And so we celebrate this event. We remember. And Lord, whatever it is in our hearts, whatever it is that we say, Lord, what is it that I'm not giving over to you? What is it that I must give up to you to worship you? I ask for each of us. The Spirit, you can bring that out. Show us so that we can truly worship you this Christmas. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for coming to us. In Jesus' name.